And for those who remain, whether here in person uh, or on the live stream, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. Be looking at verses 1 through 10. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. This is God's word. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And him, Abraham, apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Let's pray that God would teach us what this means for us. Heavenly Father, uh, this is a mysterious and strange and confusing word. But we ask that you would make it clear. That we might know more clearly our Lord Jesus. For we ask that you would do this in his name. Amen. So have you ever seen something so awesome, so great, so wondrous that it changed you? Maybe it was something in nature, a incredible sunrise or sunset or the Grand Canyon or an incredible waterfall. Maybe it was the birth of a child that just left you indelibly marked forever. Maybe it was the graduation of someone you care about greatly. Maybe it was a a work of art that just touched you in a very profound way. Or a concert. Or maybe seeing your bride walk down the aisle. Have you ever seen something so great, so awesome, it changed you? There's something true in that that we often miss in the Christian faith because we, we have a tendency in our weakness and our frailty and our sinfulness to get the Christian faith backwards altogether and think that we need to work towards getting to greatness. 
to gaining access to God. This was the trap that the original readers of the book of Hebrews had fallen into. They had lost sight of their glorious God and become consumed with and infatuated with the wonders and works of the Old Testament. And they started thinking how great angels are and maybe they can help us in our spiritual walk. How wondrous Moses and the law is such that perhaps we can learn to keep it better. How wondrous their father Abraham was and perhaps there was some significance from being descended from him. Or all the trappings of the priesthood with its garments and its rituals and its regularity. Perhaps there was something wondrous to go back to in that that would help them be more spiritual, be more ready, be more fit to enter into the presence of God. And in doing so, they lost sight of what the Christian faith is truly and most centrally about. And so the author of the book of Hebrews is spending 13 chapters making the case that the Lord Jesus Christ, He Himself is great. He is all greatness. He is all wonder. He is all awesomeness in Himself because of who He is. And and to try to connect with his original audience, he pulls this character from the Old Testament. Oh, you're so infatuated with the Old Testament? You think angels and Moses and Abraham are great? Let me tell you about Melchizedek. We don't talk a lot about Melchizedek. He's only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. And yet, for centuries... He has been the object of no small amount of theological wrangling and wonder. Because though mentioned only twice, he is one of the most incredibly mysterious figures in all the Old Testament. He appears in Genesis and in the Psalms with such significance that people wonder, who is this Melchizedek? It's an unfathomable amount of volumes and writings of the ancient and modern theologians wrapped up in this question. You cannot exaggerate the importance of Melchizedek, though mentioned only twice. And here, our author reminds us, see how great this man was to whom Abraham paid tithes. And yet, as great as Melchizedek was, he was only a type. He was only a a picture. He was only a a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because we read here in verse 3 that that he resembles the Son of God. As great as Melchizedek is, as wondrous as he is, he, he merely bears a resemblance to the greatness and the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what the author of Hebrews is getting at, what he wants his audience and wants us to see what the, the core of the gospel, what Christianity is all about, is this. Do you see the awesome greatness 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if, if you do, if you see him rightly, if you see him clearly, it changes you. We're going to look at how this Melchizedek compares to Jesus and what that shows us about Jesus by considering five themes in this passage briefly. And the first is this. I want us to see, and the author wants us to see, the greatness of Melchizedek and therefore the greatness of Jesus in his position. You see this in verse 1 where we're mentioned that Melchizedek was king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. And this is a strange thing to read because it was forbidden. It never happened that a priest could and should also be a king. This was not allowed in the Old Testament law. The priests were priests, the kings were kings, the prophets were prophets. You don't go to a cardiologist for dental advice. At least, I wouldn't recommend it. I know a couple of dentists who would probably suggest you go to see them instead. Your qualifications matter. And to be a good priest didn't necessarily set you up to be a good king. To be a good prophet didn't necessarily set you up to be a good king either. Like To, to be both king and high priest? This is one of the reasons Melchizedek was so strange. To the Jewish mind, to the Christian mind, how can these things go together? And yet in Zechariah, there is this prophecy that the coming Messiah, the Christ, the the promised one who would save God's people, he would occupy both of these offices, the office of king and high priest, together in one person. So great would this Savior be. And what the author is pointing us to is this, that that Melchizedek long ago pictured the possibility. This great, incredible man to whom Abraham the patriarch paid reverence was just a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messianic King, our great royal high priest. And this tells us That the Lord Jesus isn't just able to do for his people what they need, as a king should be able, but that he's also willing to help them in their need, as a priest should be willing. He is both things together. So great is our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing I want us to see is his greatness in his his titles, and his names. We live in a culture that values a good title. We have all sorts, some of you have lots of letters after your name, PhD, MD, DDM, MDiv, whatever. And with those letters, there's some authority and competence implied. You you want your doctor to have a, a medical professional degree. It's usually a good thing. Well, we read that 
Melchizedek had some titles bound up in his names. Names were more than just identifiers. They showed something about who you were. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And he was also king of Salem, foreshadowing Jerusalem. King of peace. He's both things. And yet... He simply resembles the one with the greatest title of all, Son of God. And it's in the Lord Jesus that we see righteousness and peace find their proper place because He is King of them both. That means they are His. Righteousness isn't something that Jesus attained. Peace isn't something that He imagines. They belong to Him. He rules over them. And so... He is able to bestow upon his people these very things. Where do you look for righteousness? We have a tendency so much to look to ourselves, to to justify ourselves, to to whitewash all of the, the bad, problematic things that we've thought or said or done And convince ourselves, well, it wasn't really that bad. Or like, well, they had it coming to them. Or everybody does it. And and, and we, in justifying ourselves, find very little righteousness and a whole lot of rationalization. But the Lord Jesus, who is all righteousness, is able to make his people righteous because he's king of righteousness. And he's able to make peace between God and man, because he is the king of peace. And it's not uh, an imagined peace, but a true and real peace. We can know that in him, we are right with God. Not because we've convinced ourselves of it, but because the king, the son of God himself, has made it so. He's great in his titles, in his names. I want you to see, thirdly, his greatness in his ancestry. In the South, there's a a way of going about relationships where you meet somebody in a small town or a medium-sized town, and eventually it gets back, who's your dad? What does he do? Like, people just, like, there's... Your origins are relevant. It it, it sort of matters, for good or for ill, oftentimes. Melchizedek is strange in this regard, in that he is one of the only, if not the only, follower of the living God in the Old Testament who's given no hint of a genealogy. And we know where Enoch came from, and we know about Moses and Abraham. But this Melchizedek just sort of shows up randomly, out of nowhere, meets Abraham after this great battle, is revered by the patriarch, and then disappears until he's brought up again in the Psalms. But we'll look at that next week. And it's not as some have theorized that Melchizedek is some sort of angelic being or 
possibly some pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. The, the, the point that the author of Hebrews is making here is not anything quite so mysterious or profound, though there may be something to that. The case he's making is this. That omission of a genealogy speaks volumes. The whole book of Ruth is written to make the case that the, the Davidic genealogy justified David being king. Here this Melchizedek has no, no genealogy, no father, no mother, no origin, no obituary, no end of life. And people wonder, what does that mean? Or the author tells us it means, it implies. His priesthood's never ended. That's the theme that the psalm picks up on. The priesthood that he has continues forever. How much more our Lord Jesus Christ, who has no origin because he is God and is from all days, though he has a genealogy in his human nature, he is eternal in his divine nature. And his priesthood will never end because he can never die again. He has defeated death. He has defeated hell. And he lives forever, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, interceding on behalf of his people as a great high priest. That's important. Because it opens a window for us to see that because of who Jesus is, because He is God, because He he is of all days, because He is eternal, because His priesthood continues, that there is for us a destiny. In the South, you know, you ask people their, their names, oftentimes like it's so that they can relegate you. Oh, that's who your dad is. And they can put you in your place. But when we find out who our Savior is, it opens new windows of opportunity because we read in the book of Revelation that He has made us, like Him, a kingdom of priests to serve Him forever, with Him forever. That our whole trajectory of a life is altered simply because of who Jesus is. The fourth thing I want you to see is his greatness in his divinity. The, the tithe takes up a lot, of, a lot of space in this passage, and it's really confusing. You, you might read it three or four times. And, I what is he talking about? And it's simply this. You don't get tribute from people who are greater than you. Taylor Swift isn't looking for an opportunity to cut me in, right? Now, people gather around greatness. That's why stars develop an entourage. Greatness attracts, it gathers, and, it, it, and, and we offer tribute to them. Well, here you have Levi, this 
this father of a, a whole clan of priests. That's pretty impressive. But, but he's not as great as Abraham, his forefather, to whom God gave promises to bless all the nations. Even Abraham is not as great as Melchizedek, to whom he paid tribute. After Abraham went out to save his nephew Lot and, and his entire family from being kidnapped by these kings, he fought against five kings and defeated them all, this one patriarch. How great is that? And as he's coming back from this victorious battle with all the spoils, this random Melchizedek shows up and Abraham's like, you are greater than I am. And he gives him a tie. And the author's saying, like, there is even a sense in which Levi and all the priests after him who received tithes from their brothers, they didn't receive tithes for themselves. They received tithes for something greater. And in Abraham, they gave it to Melchizedek. But who's greater than Melchizedek? Like, eventually, it gets to a place where you are at the greatest one. And so the Son of God receives all of these things, all of these tithes, all of these tributes, because they're not collected from brothers. They're received by one of whom it is said, He lives. He has conquered the grave. He lives forever. The Lord Jesus Christ receives all the tributes of his people because he is God and he is worthy of them. And he's not gathering a bunch of money. He's gathering a people for his own possession. A beloved community of those made righteous in him. Of those of whom it can be said they are at peace with God because of Jesus, and he is doing all of this because of who he is, the living God, faithful and true. So the last thing I want us to consider is this. I want us to see his greatness and his blessing. And we live in a meritocracy, at least mostly, where, where we earn our blessings. Right? You want an A on that paper? Well, write an A-quality paper. We're not just gifting A's around here. You want that promotion? Work hard. We live in a culture that sort of prioritizes earning. But here, we find a blessing that isn't earned. It's given by the superior to the inferior. Even Abraham offering tithes is, is an indication that he's not worthy. Melchizedek is. But yet Melchizedek doesn't just receive the tithe, he overflows with blessing to Abraham. The Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God, the recipient of all the praise and adoration and tribute of His people, the King of righteousness and peace, 
the most high God, the king of kings, the great high priest. He overflows with blessing to those who don't deserve it. He who is superior to everything, to every angel, to every law. He looks to those who are weak and frail, in need of help, in need of salvation. And he blesses. He looks at a world beset with misery and sin, promises to bless it. This is who our God is. A God who blesses. What do you look to Jesus to receive? What is it that you are seeking from him? It's easy for us to look to Jesus and, and, and try to seek from him some sort of bargain. Lord, I will follow you. I'll go to Bible study. I will listen to those long sermons. I will do all of these things if you make my children turn out okay or help me keep my job. Or like, and we want from Jesus a bargain. As if we've earned it. Or we look to Jesus for a clean slate. Lord, I know I've been sinful in the past. Please forgive me of all these bad things. That, that's not who I am. I can't believe I did that. I promise never again will I. We break these promises because we, we, we forget. We think that, that Jesus works like our society, that we have to earn something from him. And we lose sight of who he is in his nature. He is a God who blesses. My family crest is a slogan, ancient, the Ferguson clan from Scotland. Has a motto in Latin that I will not attempt to pronounce for you, but it translates sweeter, after difficulties. I hate that slogan. It's backwards. I, I want the sweetness to come before the di- make the difficulties easier to deal with. In fact, I hated this, this crest and, and motto so much in seventh grade when I had a, a project to like research my family history. Even though I have on my wall the crest with a little history on the back, I made a new one up. I don't know, because it sounded better. You know, I have lions and victory through strength and all that kind of stuff. The older I get, the sweeter that motto becomes because it seems true. But you can't, you can't get it backwards. Don't get it backwards in Christ. It's not a faith where we have to, to pry the doors of heaven open with our own bare hands where we have to build a a pillar to stand on to get the attention of the Most High God. It's not a faith where we have to to earn a standard of righteousness that's this high so that we can, can get on that roller coaster. It looks to Jesus, who is 
all greatness and all awesomeness in his being and in his person. And so perhaps for us, for today, that the best application isn't some work to accomplish, isn't some task to do, isn't some schedule to follow, isn't some reading to finish. Perhaps the best application for us today is simply to look to Jesus again, afresh and anew, to see him for who he is, to see the glory of his being, the majesty of all his works, to experience the awesome blessing that only he can bring. Because if we see the greatness of Jesus rightly, truly, it changes us. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, make us have eyes to see Jesus. Help us to behold his majesty and his glory clearly. We might know him for who he is. Cure us from our infatuation with other things, with ourselves and our own ability, with our works, with our efforts, with our power. Give us eyes to see Jesus, that author and perfecter of our faith, that we might be changed by him, formed by him, conformed after his likeness and image, that we might be known as his people, whom he has blessed. Accomplish this for his glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.